What's up everybody, this is Grant at Cause Artist. Today I'm gonna to do things a little different. I really wanted to give a real shout out to Jasmine Rain, who has been contributing and helping out with Cause Artist for the past few years. Um, she writes incredible stories. Um, she really has a pulse on impact startups around the world. And she's originally from Toronto, and that's when we first met and, and talked and got to know each other. And then she moved to India and started the uh, first zero waste uh, guest house in the region of, of India where she's at. And uh, she has so many amazing people come through all the time through, through, the, um, through the guest house, through the hotel, if you want to call it that. And I was like, man, you should really just start interviewing these amazing people coming by, right? And get really give people a sense of who's coming through there, tell their stories, what you know, projects they're working on, what businesses they're building. Um, and she was like, yeah, it sounds great. So um, she started the Impact India podcast uh, maybe a couple months ago now. Um, so what I'm going to do this episode is uh, play an interview she did um, from the Impact India um, podcast stream just to get a feel for for who she is um she's a great interviewer a great question asker and great person overall um so i'll let her take over this episode and then i'll be back next week um hope you guys have a great week hope everybody's doing well um again anytime you want to reach out grant at causeartist.com uh causeartist.com for anything new that we're putting up there um or if you want to reach out at causeartist on any social network really um, we're always there to to answer questions or do whatever's needed for you. Uh, so hope everybody has a great week. Um, have a great day. Um, stay healthy, stay happy, and enjoy the day. Thanks. Stay friends, you're listening to Impact India, a podcast that deep dives into the epic stories of innovation coming from the startup scene in India, with a focus on travel, fashion, and tech. Each episode, I sit down with incredibly inspiring social entrepreneurs across the country to hear their story, learn about their initiatives, and listen to their why. Looking for the newest and coolest social impact brands in travel, fashion, and tech? Jump over to causeartist.com and join our community. Oh yeah, and I'm your host, Jasmine Rain, Director of Content at Cause Artist and Social Entrepreneur. I'm the co-founder and owner of Hada House, India's first zero-waste travel organization and hotel chain. You can connect with me on social media at Jasmine Rain. All right, no more stalling. It's time to meet India's next generation of impact influencers. Let's get it. everybody and welcome to another episode of Impact India. Before I jump into everything, I wanted to do a quick plug for an event that I'm going to be speaking at on September 21st in New Delhi called the Tourism Shala. If you are a responsible travel brand or influencer in India and happen to be in New Delhi this September, you've got to join me, the Sustainable Travel Network, and an incredible lineup of speakers for this high-impact event bringing more accountability to the tourism industry in India. For full details and the speaker lineup, check it out at sustainabletravelnetwork.com. In today's episode, I connect with Leila Virasamy, founder of Pani Swimwear. I actually met Leila earlier this year when I moderated a panel discussion in Bombay about conscious living and totally fell in love with her collection of swimwear. Pani Swimwear is a brand crafted for South Asian bodies, helping bring awareness to body positivity. 
They also use a sustainable textile called Econil, made from upcycled fishing nets, which I am so excited for you to hear all about. Check it out. Hi, my name is Leila Virasami, and I'm the founder of Pani Swimwear. Um, so Pani means water in Hindi, obviously, but it also means not naked in Mauritian Creole, which is uh, the local language from where I'm from, Mauritius. And the reason why I started Pani is because I wanted to create a brand that made Indian women or made women of all shapes and size really um, not feel naked when they wore a swimsuit. And so this is why I've created Pani. It's basically a an entire line um, that's made to be universally flattering for as many body types as possible for women here in India and to be also uh, culturally sensitive. Our brand is as well a sustainable brand since we use this great fabric um, called Carvico. It's based out of this yarn called Econil. And this fabric is made out of recycled, well, regenerated uh, nylon that's made out of like uh, recovered fishing net and plastic waste found in the ocean. So as an island girl growing up in Mauritius, I really wanted to create a company that was sustainable, but also had like a social impact. Um, so yeah, that's basically Pani in a gist. Amazing. And, and tell us about this textile. Where have you been sourcing it from and how did you come across it? Yeah, sure. So the the textile is quite an interesting story, especially because the first time I encountered it was um, early 2017. And uh, the way I I wasn't really like part of the industry before starting on Pani. I was in the development sector, so I didn't really have any training in fashion or any idea on about how apparel making worked. So my first step once I started this business was really to email and cold call as many factories as I could find on Google, like literally just like, you know, searching like swimwear factory in India, swimwear factory in Sri Lanka, swimwear factory in Bali. And, uh, and by doing that, I was able to get a lot more information about um, how, how to source fabric, um, how to source like different elements, you know, cups and ex- accessories are part of like making a swimsuit. So one of these um, factories had actually emailed me a catalog that included this fabric um, by this Italian company called Carvico. Um, and so Carvico, they're basically what they do is like they're just fabric makers. And one of the products that they offered was this product called Carvico Vita, which um, they claim uh, was made out of recycled fishing nets. So obviously being from the, having that training development sector, I got very, my interest was really peaked. So I started researching that fabric a little bit more. I contacted the fabric manufacturer and, uh, and yeah, and this is now like the fabric that we're, we're using. And what's really beautiful about it is that since for the past two years, um, the fabric company has gotten a real, a huge amount of success um, all over the world selling that re- recycled and uh, yeah, re- recycled fabric. And basically now they have from one offering, they have like about like, you know, eight to nine different offerings using that same technology. So just to give you a little bit more information on the technology itself, 
Um, basically, the the fabric that I buy is 78% made out of this yarn called Econil, which is a yarn that's made in um, East Europe. And how they go about making that recycled yarn is by tying up with different NGOs all around the world that work with either the industrial fishing industry and uh, fishing communities in um, especially like in developing countries i think like the the countries that they work uh, mostly with are philippines um and uh and i believe there's like another yeah there's another point uh in east africa where they also do the fishing net recovery but basically like they tie with these communities to um recover fishing nets which they call ghost nets so ghost nets are the fishing nets that are used like in fishing in day to day. But a lot of the times like fishermen or the fishing industry, like in big fishing boats, end up discarding these fishing nets when they become too old or they're torn and they can't be, really be reused. Um, a lot of the community like ends up mending their tools, but really when it uh, when these fishing nets are not usable anymore, they get discarded. And obviously that has a uh, hugely negative impact on the um, the marine ecosystem. So so Econil ties up with NGOs to recover that fishing net. They also recover like as many uh, as many plastic waste as I can find. So they can be like bottled plastic. It can be like little plastic bags, like anything. They sort out. Uh, they take all the waste to um, Eastern Europe, where they sort it out, clean it. And then they proceed to recycle it in a chemical way, which is um, this new technology that they basically patented. And uh, the advantage of like breaking down plastic chemically is that it helps reduce the amount of microplastics that go back into uh, the water system once the the post-recycled product is used and once it's washed and all of that. So in our case, when we wash our swimsuits, we have a much lower rate of microplastics going into the water. There's always some um, some amount that that's unfortunately um, unavoidable, mm. yeah. but it's a lot better than other forms of recycled plastic, um, which is like a great progress. Um, so yeah, so without going to the, the nitty gritty of the technology, basically what they end up doing is chemically breaking down the the recovered waste, and then they retake that uh, that raw material and bring it into the traditional um, nylon synthesizing process. So you resynthesize nylon from scratch, and the product that you get at the end of the day is like a completely regenerated nylon yarn. So um, there's no compromise with the structure of, or the quality of the nylon that you get after that. It's exactly the same as if you had made uh, nylon from virgin plastic or like from like the whole process of like, you know, fossil fuel and whatnot. But the great advantage is that you're really using the earth's current quota of plastic and you're not bringing more um, onto the surface. Yeah, amazing. And, and, and do you find that the, the texture and the feel um, of your product differs uh, from, you know, mainstream swimwear products? Yeah, I do feel like the texture is different. I honestly feel that the texture and the, the feel is much better than use, than the traditional like swimwear 
um, fabric that you would find. And the only, and I've honestly, like I've tried so many swimsuits in my life. Like I'm pretty, like even just like as a consumer, I'm really well versed in swimsuit, <laughs> um, <laughs> which is only useful now, thankfully. <laughs> Wasn't for <laughs> But basically um, what I found is that the, the Carvico fabric is really soft to the touch and it's really breathable. And it might not be uh, what, you know, every, like, I think it's, it's really like different school of thoughts. There's some people who'd like a swimsuit fabric to be a little bit more rigid and a little bit more rough uh, just because it gives, feels and gives them more coverage. And I think that's a, a great quality to have when you have athletic swimsuits mm. or sports swimsuits, which are supposed to be like, you know, high performance gear but when it comes to fashion swimwear which is the category where we're in um i do feel that it's i I love that kind of like sensation of like wearing a swimsuit which you know usually can be super constraining but feeling like it's kind of second skin um and and that's much more aligned with our brand ethos so we wanted that second skin feel because the cuts themselves they're supposed to feel um extremely comfortable we don't want any of our of our customers to buy our swimsuit and feel like they need to alter their body to fit into them. We want the swimsuit to fit their body. So having a really, really, you know, buttery and uh, light fabric that matches that uh, matches, I guess, like that principle was really important to us. And I think the reason why the fabric is so good is maybe like the the this recycled technology has some part in it to be honest i i sh- would have to be like so much more um well versed about the actual science behind it to tell you a proper answer but i think one of the main qualities is the fact that the not only is the yarn great but the fabric makers are also really really great and i think that's probably like what's key it's like right now i I feel very loyal to that specific fabric company where i buy um where i buy the fabric and uh, i'm sure that like in a couple years when patents uh in in a couple years there'll easily be so many more fabric companies from all over the world who'll be using the econil regenerated yarn and they'll make their own swimsuit fabric but so far, I really love uh, the one that we use because they have, you know, 15, 20 plus years of experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're also based in Italy, which is where the best lycra is made. So there's a, a huge mm-hmm. amount of know-how that goes into making that specific fabric and also learning how far we can push that eco yarn. So the first batch that I bought was... Um, has 70% of economically on, but like I said, there's been many reiteration of different fabrics since then, um, where there are, um, where the percentage of the, um, the econil yarn could be higher. The density of fabric could be thicker. There's so many different things you can do. Right. Um, but yeah, th- this fabric is the first time I touched it. It actually reminded me of one swimsuit, uh, that I've, encountered before and it's basically my mom's um and my mom like she really I mean she's a huge fashionista but like she never used to buy that many things and especially with swimwear uh, as she got older she felt she she got a little bit more self-conscious about certain things and um mm-hmm. but she had this one swimsuit from this brand called RS which is a French swimwear brand pretty luxurious and I swear to god the first time I touched this fabric it 
it just felt like my mom's wudzu. So for me, it was like, okay, this is ah. like, yeah, this is the, the pinnacle of luxury. And if I can afford it, I have to get this fabric. So yeah, many reasons why we chose that one in particular. Okay, there's, there's a few really key things that you've said. Um, and I want to just, uh, I'm going to go back. I just wrote a few notes. So the, the first thing I wanted to, to note was, um, it, it's, it's interesting how it ends up kind of being this lose-lose situation when it comes to processing this eco, um, you know, environmentally sustainable fabric where we're still having to use uh, chemicals to uh, actually process it into uh, uh, like a usable textile. Yeah. Um, it, but, but it's also so beautiful that we're still able to kind of fight the fact that like so much microplastic is, still, it, it, uh, is going into our oceans um, and we can, you know, we can find a way to eliminate that. But it's interesting that even in us trying to do good uh, with these textiles, like we're still, uh, we're still having to kind of let go and realize that like we can't do everything perfectly just yet. Um, and I think it's really beautiful to be transparent about, you know, you know, this is what it could be, but, and, and this is kind of what we're doing uh, to, to alleviate you know, the stress on our oceans. Um, so yeah. I think that's pretty powerful. But also, uh, you know, it, it seems so, I don't know, it, it seems kind of discouraging sometimes, but then you have to think like, you know what, we're doing our part. There's still a chemical processing. And just like with most recycled, um, like even, even very basic, like recycled PET fabrics, um, yeah. like those are also seeing a lot of uh, a chemical processing. But of course, it's better than us just using... Um, than us completely just discarding all those uh, those pet products and not actually upcycling them. Um, and then on the other hand, when you're talking more about the luxury feel and like you know how much how you've fallen in love with this this company, um, and uh, you know I, I think it's it's very rare for you know a startup to come across a um, a supplier so early on that they just completely fall in love with and, yeah. you know, and, and feel loyal to and feel like they can move forward with it and innovating their product. And I'm curious, um, just wanted to clarify, is it the fabric that kind of came first and launched the concept or, you know, was it really like you had this idea of the swimwear um, and you knew that you wanted to use a sustainable fabric and that's kind of what, what just sent you on your search? Yeah, it's, it's more the latter, but even then, you know, it wasn't, even as well thought out or well planned uh, than that. So I knew that I wanted to create a swimwear company and the main motto of the swimwear main purpose was to create something that was for South Asian women because being like, you know, a Desi woman myself, I didn't grow up in India, but I did grow up uh, in Mauritius and, um, and in Mauritius is about like 60% Indian. So for me, like I one of the things mm. that like I experienced was that I couldn't really find swimsuit that would fit my body type. So, and I remember like, you know, growing up being an Island girl and like after I turned 13, like not able to having that frustration and having that, um, I guess like self-consciousness building up is something that I wanted to resolve. And knowing that people were the increasingly good, like, you know, traveling and developing a beach culture here in India, I wanted to create like a product that would make women feel good. And that was kind of like the main, um, I guess, goal of the brand. But then the the sustainable part, it was just kind of like, for me, like a no brainer and like part of um, yeah. how I wanted to create the company as opposed to the brand. 
And uh, just because of like, you know, the sector that I was in, but I, like I said, I didn't have any experience in clothes manufacturing. So, and at that point, you know, like I was, I wasn't really well versed uh, in terms of sustainable fashion and slow fashion. I had very similar, like, you know, misconception that I know a lot of people still have today that sustainable fashion is, you know, basically like it's just going to be with natural fibers. It's just going to like be really simple, really earthy uh, colored cotton dresses. And that's basically the entire wardrobe that I can get out of it. Um, so I didn't even conceive that there could be an option for um, sustainable swimwear. So it's only, you know, I, I knew that like I wanted to give myself a year to first understand the clothes making process. And knowing that overall the fashion industry was pretty polluting and um, pretty, you know, obscure in a lot of different things. I wanted to like take that one year to really research and understand, okay, is there a way that I can create a brand and make it, you know, see if like at every single part of the supply chain, I can make it better or I can choose a better alternative and still make it a viable business. So is there a fabric that I can use that could be maybe a little bit better or like that could be like, you know, just recycled Lycra. So at first I thought that like one alternative would be like, you know, finding just simple Lycra that had been recycled or Lycra that had been used locally and maybe like a, a factory that's a little bit more green or that's like using like fewer chemicals or like has a, a, a or is water neutral or has a water, you know, um, cleaning system within their factories. Um, but I had no idea. I really didn't expect that I would find something that would be as great as Econel. But it's, uh, what was really cool about this is that as someone who had really zero experience, it wasn't that difficult and it wasn't uh, difficult for me to find that fabric. And it also was quite accessible on a, you know, in terms of price point, I thought this was going to be something that was going to be way out of my range and in no way would I be able to use something like that in the first collection. But it was actually quite feasible. Like, yeah, for sure, it comes with a premium and you then have to kind of like, once I discovered, you know, Econil and like the Carvico fabric and I got a sense of it, I decided, okay, this is what I'm going to use. I did have to kind of like sit down and review my business plan entirely because I, you know, it is more expensive and then you have to take into account that this is a a fabric that is imported, which is not what I wanted to do originally. Um, I wanted to do, to use as many local resources as possible. So, you know, if for all the good things that, um, that uh, using this fabric brought, it also did bring a lot of challenges. But uh, I'm really glad we did it, honestly. Like it's, it's, you know, it's also like one of the few brands in India that, especially at the time of launch, like used this fabric. So mm-hmm. now it's also kind of like part of our brand DNA. Yeah, absolutely. And when, exa- when did you exactly launch? So I launched a brand in September 2018. So we're going to... We're going to cross our one year anniversary. Yeah, very amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. That's, that's wonderful. You. Thank you. But it took, um, I, I started working on the project two years before that. So it right. took a, a full year to just, like I said, go through that research process of like understanding how to make clothes and how to bring the, uh, how to create these swimsuits in the first place. 
and then one year of designing and product development um, and basically like setting up the brand. Amazing. Uh, it's really beautiful to hear you talk also about like, uh, you know, being, you know, seeing the value in taking your time to really understand the industry, understand your approach, the direction you want to go in. Because I'm actually finding that a lot of these startups that are coming up now, especially by young people, like in our age demographic, they're doing great work, but they're not really seeing long-term sustainability and how their business operates, especially as like a social enterprise or social impact business that's or focusing on environmental sustainability. They're not putting in enough of the research and work uh, beforehand. Um, and I think it's really powerful for, for these younger social entrepreneurs to hear uh, the journey of all of these people that I've been interviewing because you're all incredible. And what's, and, and something that rings true for every single one of you is that you dedicated like a lot of time and patiently went through the, the entire startup process to make sure that when you did launch, like you were confident in what you were bringing to the market. Um, and I think that's really, really powerful. Um, yeah, definitely. And I think it's, it's really important. It's, it's more important to some extent, um, to have that kind of like approach and like be open to, to even change, um, your company, change like the, the way that you go about things, especially when you're in sustainable fashion, because like you said, the technology is not perfect. Like we're still, we're at a point in the industry where it's still very nascent. A lot of the technology, like the new fabric that comes in, uh, the new processes or like the new types of like, um, you know, like I guess like production methods and all of that, everything like is new and everything comes, like there's always a new, a new and better and more sustainable alternative that comes like, you know, every like couple of months. So it's really important for us to be able to reinvent ourselves because, you know, we might be um, a sustainable brand today, but if we keep using the same fabrics and the same, like the same methods, the same packaging and all of that in a year, we're redundant. Um, and I think that's great. Like that level of like, kind of like competition is, is really awesome because it pushes us to be better. It pushes 100%. us to keep up with the R and D and, uh, and that's, and that's awesome. And that's also kind of like the way forward for us to be able to shift the industry because that's, I think one of the disconnects, um, that maybe a lot of, uh, young entrepreneurs, or I would say even to some extent, some consumers have with reality is that, um, people really underestimate how young all of these sustainable alternatives are, even if some of them are actually inspired, especially in India, inspired from like, you know, these ancestral techniques of like dyeing fabrics and all of that, being able to like manufacture and produce those at scale is kind of like a young thing in the industry. Um, mm-hmm. So, so right now, you know, there is that, um, I guess like that's like a whole other side of the conversation, but there is that expectation that like when a brand is sustainable or using recycled plastic or whatever, there is a kind of like that expectation that, okay, that's it. We're done. Like we've made swimsuits that are made with recycled plastic. That's it. Like, this is my, I buy this swimsuit and I'm a conscious consumer and the fight is over when it's not. Um, And it's really hard to understand unless you're part of the industry and you see like how much, um, how much more the, how much more progress we have to make that we still all really 
babies in this. Like we still don't (laughs) know, like, you know, like all of the- Yeah, it's a new industry, especially like focusing on any kind of, you know, bringing any kind of sustainable element uh, to a business is still very new. I mean, we've been a very linear business economy for a very long time, not really thinking about, you know, our impacts on a social, economic and environmental level. And I think the key that you're saying right there is basically like continuing to innovate both on the consumer side as well as on the brand side. Uh, and that's kind of how we move forward. Exactly. And, and it's really not just like about like, each, I mean, each brand do their part and each consumer do their part. That's great. But I think one thing that one realization that I had when I got into this um, and that only happened, like, I guess, like within, like at the end of that first year, like that, like that research year, um, is that we, every single, if you're looking into and we're in a weird segment of sustainable fashion because, um, you know, a lot of the, the the brands in sustainable fashion, especially in India, have like, you know, they work with natural fibers. A lot of their processes and a lot of their supply chains are usually vertically integrated. And it's a great method to be able to have full transparency about how clothes are made. But when it comes to other sub-segments of apparel, like lingerie or like swimwear or athletic wear, it becomes a little bit difficult to do that vertical integration. Um, so what we do is like we use basically traditional channel of manufacturing. So when I talk to people about like how you think Pani is made, I'm, I tell them like, think about how you think Zara is made or any kind of like your regular, like, you know, high street, like fashion brand is made. Think about those factories and imagine the best um, possible factory of that size and that capacity. And that's what we need. Like, that's what I believe we found like for, for, for like, uh, for Bani and for that first selection. But that is what we have to stay on top of. It's really trying mm. to like, it make like integrate like the regular, the traditional manufacturing industry and finding who are the trailblazers in terms of fabric suppliers, in terms of manufacturers, um, who are making, who are trying to like shift these, that industry into making it more sustainable and more um, conscientious. So it's really, and, and that part of it is, is also still very rare. Um, it's really like, cause the entire <laughs> manufacturing or like apparel making industry is completely geared towards generating a lot of ways, fast fashion and all mm-hmm. of that. So being able to integrate this channel and being like, who is like the one person in the room who like actually cares about their factory being water neutral, actually cares about the fair treatment of their, um, of their employees, um, actually cares about like um, implementing like uh, fair wages and, um, ex- and, you know, paying for their extra time and having clean and safe facilities and all of that. Like that's kind of like the work that we do. At, and I think that the, there's a huge disconnect between what's sustainable fashion and um, slow fashion. Um, these two ideas seem to be two different ideas in the ter- in the mind of consumers. And the way I, the reason I say that is because the, it, it's really it's a whole conversation and this whole explanation is something like I always go through with with anyone, you know, with like right. most people who ask me about like, well, you know, how do you make your products and all of that? And like, unfortunately, I if we want to make if we want to actually like break the norm as to how clothes are made, we have to do it through um, 
the the traditional channels as well. Like we have to kind of like break that industry from within and you know change the conventions and change the norm within that industry as well because that's where most clothes are made and that's where we get scale. Hundred percent. And thank you for being patient and like willing to have these conversations with people who ask because, you know, it, it's it's really easy for us. Uh, you know, people who are kind of in the industry or kind of like working in the scope of, uh, you know, somewhere within sustainable fashion or, you know, just conscious living and, and social entrepreneurship. Like it's, it's really easy for us to, you know, see, uh, w- you know, what needs to change, what kind of mm-hmm. conversations are, are being had and also like wanting to take things more high level. But we have to remember that, you know, a lot of consumers are at very diff- very diverse levels of understanding kind of what the next steps are and, you know, uh, where to access education and resource and resources and, and, and even understanding like the, the why behind this movement. Um, so I, I think it's really powerful uh, that, you know, because I, I know that it can sometimes definitely be frustrating um, as a brand to have to explain, you know, sometimes feeling like this, what you're, what you're telling consumers is so basic and, and, you know, feels repetitive and, you know, there's lots of information about it out there, but we have to remember that again, people are at such different levels in their journey and becoming conscious consumers. And we, and, you know, the biggest thing is, you know, using language that's empowering and supportive of their journey instead of making them feel like they're not doing enough. So yeah, thank exactly. you. Thank you for that. And um, something I want to go back to um, that you were that you mentioned before that was really powerful. You were talking about you know the idea of people having to alter their body to fit into a swimsuit. That is yes. a very powerful line you just used. And and I know you know one of the biggest aspects of of your business is also the social lens and the fact that you're really helping bring more. Uh, awareness to like body positivity in India. And, you know, I'm curious, especially uh, who's, as someone who, who wasn't born and raised in India, like how have you always perceived, you know, body positivity um, uh, in this country? Uh, obviously, you know, there's many issues around uh, body image around the world, but I'm, I'm curious to how you would frame it in the context of India and, and kind mm-hmm. of how you're trying to, uh, you know, smash that stigma through Pani Swimwear. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, okay, there's a couple of things here. Well, I mean, first of all, I think for me, like, it's when I first came to India, I didn't really have any, like, that many, like, preconceived notions about, you know, what it would have been like to grow up here instead of growing up in Mauritius. Like, would have felt, like, more accepted um, in terms of my you know, my height, my body shape, my skin color, uh, my features and all of that. But I didn't really like kind of like think of that when I first, um, when I first started Bani, um, because I, you know, it, it would have been, I guess, like a bit of a useless exercise. But in terms of like what I know, which is like growing up in Mauritius, you know, although it's a country, it's a really multicultural country and we really have people from all different kind of ethnicities who live together in Mauritius. But the island is predominantly uh, Indian. I think there's about 60% of the island's population that's of Indian descendants. But despite that, you know, we have, in terms of like our cultural norms, because we've been colonized by the French for a hundred years and then the British for a hundred years, a lot of our media that we get exposed to, like the music that we listen to, the news that we watch, they're very Eurocentric um, and in certain cases, very French. 
So the, the official language in Mauritius is English, but French is the most spoken language as well as Creole. It's also like a, a second language that we, we use um, f- like in parliament and things like that. So for me, like growing, I grew up in a country where there were a lot of people of color, mostly people of color, but the magazines that I was reading, the TV that I was watching was predominantly white and predominantly French. So for me, I kind of had like the same experience, I think, than like an average, like, you know, uh, I guess like American girl of color or like French girl of color of like growing up feeling like I wasn't represented at all. Um, And I remember like thinking like, especially in the real preteens that like, it was watching like Lizzie McGuire and I'm like, I can't imagine me feeling beautiful until, unless I'm like, blonde and unless my my you know like my body is this way and all of that and it's I always found that like very very frustrating obviously like had became very self-conscious in my teen years because of that but I was actually I mean it's intriguing you know and especially when started Pani I was I was thinking like you know maybe in India it's better because maybe you know in India they have Bollywood and a lot they have a a really developed media industry where they would when young girls would be exposed to um to indian stars but because you know of like the i guess like the the prejudice or like the reputation and i grew up like in the 90s like i was thinking like well you know i'm sure there's one thing that i know for sure about india because we would still get like you know some bollywood films in mauritius and some like Indian media, um, I knew that colorism was an issue. That's for sure. And that's something that is, wasn't kind of like something that I just deduced from watch, like looking at the, the newspaper clipping of like the Bollywood starlets and all of them. They're all like, you know, five, 10 shades whiter than I was. But it was also because of the, the feedback I was getting from my peers. Um, and like, especially my older, um, Indian family members or peers and whatnot who did like comment on my color growing up. Um, so I knew that this was something that was like, that was definitely an issue. So when I came here, like as an adult, um, I was really happily surprised to see that, you know, even editorials were doing much better in terms of color and representing Indian women and in like Indian beauty through many different colors, including my, my shade. Um, I never thought that like, you know, like I would be able to see Tamilian models or, or, you know, Malayali models and all of that. And because I'm half Tamilian, like, and I mean, my skin color, my look, my feature are completely Tamilian. Like I was, I felt represented and it was awesome, but in terms of body shape, it, you know, it, I did feel like the, and I did expect that like, you know, the industry was going to be pretty like restrictive to size zeros and, you know, size two, like it is all over the world. Um, so, so yeah, it was important for me to, to have more representation, but it's, it was definitely, um, I basically geared it more in terms of like, I want to create products that selfishly would fit me, but would also fit like people, like the Indian women that I see and I know on day to day, not the ones that 
I think are out there to magazines and the portrayal from media. But my friends, my cousins, like my mother, my sisters, like these were my target audience when I came here. It wasn't really like just trying to, um, I, I didn't really have that mission of like trying to cater to all of India, but throughout the process, I we did end up interviewing, um, meeting like about like 300 women and getting concrete data from more than a hundred women. And, and that was awesome because then I was able to really see the diversity and really understand that, you know, despite the diversity of sizes and colors and shapes, everyone had the same frustration and no one could find it. That's yeah. it. Like that was just kind of like the universal frustration that we all had. Um, so it's from, I guess, from that point, from the point that I like, I hadn't even decided that I wanted to quit my job and start this company yet. Like I was just kind of talking to as many people as possible. But from the moment I realized that it was a, a shared frustration, a shared problem, and that most women that I talked to, you know, echoed my feelings from my childhood, that's when I realized, okay, there's like something really, really wrong with what's what with the industry or what's being brought in terms of swimwear for women here because most of it was weren't made in India, most of them were imported. And it's amazing that like over the past like two, three years it's been all of these um swimwear brand, local swimwear brand that have popped to the surface. That's really awesome because the more you have like local offerings, the the more these brands will catch up and like and make sure to to be targeted to the audience as as well as possible. So you end up, it's kind of like a, a way for like the market to like regulate itself and become more like, um, I guess, body positive just because there's more competition. Amazing. Yes, absolutely. I'm like, I feel like I could just like snap in the background to all the things you're saying because, <laughs> you know, like I grew up on the other side of the world. Yes. And like, uh, but I'm also a mixed female, um, mm. you know, and, and especially, you know, 10, 20 years ago, uh, you know, mixed race women, uh, colored women were not represented in know, mass media yeah. or fashion the way that they are now. Yeah. And what's, what's kind of creepy now too, is that like, you know, mixed women and colored women are kind of fetishized in oh, like in yeah. mass media now, Yeah, yeah. which is, which is so weird because, you know, like, I'm still trying to figure out like how I feel about it because I'm like, I think it's great that, you know, people of color are finally, uh, you know, being showcased, you know, different body shapes are finally being showcased. I mean, there's still definitely challenges around that, but I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's moving up in the industry, but you know, I, I, like for me to see, you know, uh, these runways and campaigns of, of mixed women with freckles and big curly hair and yeah. you know, gaps <laughs> in their teeth, in 2019, I'm like, hey, is this beautiful now? Like, it took 27 <laughs> years for, for my look to be beautiful. Um, and, you know, and even, you know, as someone who's, well, I'm about to be 27, I feel like I'm already counting myself as 27. When this goes live, I'll be 27, so that's fine. <laughs> um, but I feel like, you know, I'm like, okay, like, this is great. You know, I, although, it, you know, there was no, you know, role model or person for me to look up to in, in mass media uh, at that at a young age that looked like me and represented me and I felt connected to, that's fine. I, I turned out okay. And yeah. what's, what's powerful is that now it's like all of these movements 
um, that are happening, like this is just going to bring so much more confidence and, and, um, you know, such a more of a, a more positive mindset to the young generations of today, because, you know, yeah. especially with a brand like yours, like swimwear is huge. So it, it's not like they're just not being represented in, in, in mainstream fashion. It's like, you know, to see that, that, that their unique body type is being represented in something that's so much more intimate and something that's a little bit more, you know, stigmatized in regards to mm-hmm. like, you know, s- swimwear and in being kind of like half naked in these public spaces. Um, but, but, it also being very socially acceptable that like you can wear swimwear and that you can also wear swimwear regardless of what your body looks like because everyone's body is beautiful in very different ways and everyone mm-hmm. has different shapes and different bumps and stretch marks and uh you know cellulite like it, those are also it's all so natural and it's just so a part of who we are as as humans and i think it's so beautiful to have something like a swimwear brand especially uh, in south asia uh, be showcasing that like all of mm-hmm. these parts of you are beautiful. And I feel like uh, we're seeing more of this with like these smaller brands kind of coming up and, and um, you know, social media has definitely helped us take this kind of representation to the next level. Yeah. Um, but uh, I think, I'm actually wondering now that I'm saying this, do you have uh, like swimwear for kids yet? Or is that something that you were thinking of or are you just focusing on, uh, on women? You know, I wasn't, um, and I don't think like right now I have the, I mean, it's a great idea actually now that you mentioned it, but I don't think um, I have like, I, I don't think I'm ready to like start with uh, a kid's line or even a man's line because like every, mm. honestly, like every, it's really funny. Like the first, I guess, year that I was doing this before the brand was launched, before we even had sketches, um, every single woman I would talk to would be very excited and I would get the same thing same conversation over again every single woman I talked to was like oh my god finally you have to do it there's nothing for women here ever since I launched Pani every man that I talked to is okay great but like when are you gonna do men's swimwear because there's nothing here like we have you Mm. have to do it so like there's a lot I mean that's what's funny like I feel like everyone was or is uh you know, badly served when it comes to swimwear in India because there's very few right. options. Um, I do feel like kids is definitely like a, especially with the conversation we're having right now, right? Like just kind of like getting that, uh, making sure that like young kids are comfortable with swimwear their entire childhood so that they feel comfortable with swimwear and comfortable with their body their entire adult life. Like I feel like that would be like an amazing um, I mean, that would be an amazing impact, you know, like even if it just impacts like 10 people, like I'd be so happy, mm-hmm. like if I can participate in doing something like that. But I think realistically, um, I don't feel ready to do that right now just because we're a small team and everyone here like at Bani has, comes from these really diverse backgrounds. So up and until like I have like a really strong design team of people who are in the industry and especially because kids wear even if it's swim it uh, brings in a whole new set of challenges i want to make sure that like you know we have like people who have like really really good technical knowledge of clothes making before going into that because even for women's swimwear um there's still so much more for for us to learn about it and like um but yeah, I wanted to make sure that like, okay, like first start women and try to learn how to do it and do it right until I move to another demographic. So that's why even for men's homework, I'm just kind of like waiting on really like 
understanding more about um about the technicalities of like making swimwear really understanding just all of the different patterns all of the different uh sewing and bonding methods um because there's so much there's so much to play with you know there's you can play with lining you can play with stitches you can play with uh, the types of like elastics and cups and wires and all of these things that you put in, in the swimsuit so for me this kind of like the engineering is something that really needs to be mastered um until we move on to like something else um but uh, but yeah you know it's it's funny there's something that you said that kind of like um that Uh, really like made an impact with me um you're saying about like you're talking you're like about representation and being able to now see more unique body types and that's where i would i kind of like disagree with you in the sense that that's exactly my problem with um i guess editorials in fashion and i think that's kind of like whether it is like an editorial in fashion that happened in like early 90s or early 2000s or today i feel like what's what the fashion industry is always trying to create when you look at campaigns in magazine is that they're trying to create this really almost unattainable um beauty standard and obviously that's nothing that's you know new we've been talking about this for really long but you know in the early 90s it was like this heroin chic look that defined uh the the like the optimum beauty that you can get as a woman and then later like early 2000 it was about like being super toned and super athletic and having this almost like victoria's secret kind of like look um and now we're looking at like these beautiful like you say ethnically ambiguous women to get that kind of look and I feel like as I started doing bunny and like as I went to like my first shoot and like talk to photographers like these are things I had like no idea about like for people who are listening to this imagine like you're just like a layman like person and suddenly you get to go through the door like the behind the scenes of the fashion industry and get to learn about how everything is made how a campaign is made like how people like what are the lights that people use how much all the techniques and and tricks that makeup um makeup artists use and all of that like i learned that on the spot while i was doing my first campaign for pani and it's only when i was doing that i realized well there's so much talent that goes on into the lighting in terms of the photography in terms of the model and knowing how to carry themselves and knowing how to pose in terms of the makeup artist stylings that I really don't see why we also need to restrict the look of the woman um or of the models. Like I don't feel why there needs to be like this unique portrayal even if it's like, you know, a a body size 2 and it shifts to a body size like, you know, 10 or 16 or whatever, like I'm not really familiar with like I'm like in the that's a problem also like I'm really bad with like knowing uk sizes and us sizes and conversions of all of that um but for me it's more about like getting women that i see around me and just putting them in those environment and i think at the end of the day you end up with such a beautiful campaign either way because you know that that's kind of like a thing that i've always had right like I, even when i was like really, really self conscious about my parents when i was a kid like when i was like whatever 14 15 
I would look around me and look at my girlfriends and found them all beautiful. Like I could find, like there's, you know, you just genuinely find your friends beautiful. Um, and they don't have unique body types. That's the whole point. They have completely average body types in the sense that like it's diverse. Yes. But like, this is something that like, you don't like, you wouldn't like necessarily put on a pedestal, some body types that you're used to seeing on your day to day, whether really skinny, really curvy, or like any size of the spectrum, just used to seeing them in your environment day to day. We're not just, we're just not used to seeing them on the cover of a magazine or in a campaign. But by doing Pani, that's when I realized, well, these, if I see beauty amongst my peers and I know how much know-how and talent and precision comes in creating a beautiful image, why, why is there a need to also have a somehow more beautiful body type or like a, a beauty type that needs to be like so like peculiar and you know it fit in a specific mold to make the end product beautiful there's more than enough talent in the fashion industry for us to make a beautiful glamorous editorial image with literally someone of any size any color any shape any hair texture anything right um, sorry, I just wanted to rant and like, I, it's really, it's, you know, even now it's super no, hard no, to articulate these ideas because like I said, I'm still, I still feel very new into this. And like, I still feel like it's like somehow I was like someone who was, like I said, just kind of like opened the door to Narnia and is walking around and it's this weird, like, <laughs> crazy world. And I'm just kind of like, you know, breaking the fourth wall. I'm like, what's going on? Like, what's, what, how does that, this doesn't make any sense to me. Why are we even like, how did we even get down that rabbit hole? Like, um, I think that the reason why is that maybe, I mean, I don't know, there's so many theories, but I think like maybe like a lot of the time, like for a really, really long time, um, designers didn't design for themselves. It was designers from, you know, a different gender or a different like age or whatever designing for other people. Um, so I think that's like just being able to make fashion and like make design and making like, like entering the fashion industry being more democratized will definitely like have a huge impact in democratizing and making the fashion output that we put that's out there, whether it's the products or the images become less, you know, less of a marginalizing thing. If that makes any sense. A hundred percent. And that was, a th yeah, I think that was a great way to kind of wrap up what you were just talking about as well. And, and I just want to note that like, it, cause there's a few things that you've said there. Um, but in regards to like, you know, uh, not being ready to take on like another, uh, you know, like going into like men's swimwear, for example, and then like talking about, you know, how you're still new to this and like you're continuing to learn, et cetera. Like this again, just goes back to what I was saying that like, this is what's beautiful about your processes that you're continuously, uh, accessing resources, doing, doing the research, you know, understanding, you know, how to take everything forward. And, uh, I think that's beautiful. Uh, sorry, I just wanted to clarify were you disagreeing with the fact that I was talking about, you know, people having unique body types in, in regard, in, instead of using something a little bit more in, in terms of like a word like diverse body types? Because what I was, what I was trying to go for, maybe unique wasn't maybe the word I'm, 
I wanted to use, but I guess maybe something more like unique in terms that it's not what we're seeing in mass media. So maybe, yeah, maybe yeah, a more yeah. appropriate no, word for mean. me to use yeah. more like mainstream or uh, so, I, I don't like the word mainstream. I don't want to use that. For I, body know, types. I know. But like in terms of like, it's, 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 it's a little bit hard. more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like exactly. Like, you know, like you can't really do anything like this. Uh, whatever word we're using right now, it just doesn't feel to be like translating. Not comfortable. Like, yeah. yeah. Not comfortable. Um, no, I, I think that's, yeah. So I think what's the, what I was like taking, was not really taking issue with, but the whole, what I think is really interesting right now is that our, like the conditioning that we got from the fashion industry is really interesting. Whether, you know, one may argue that it's negative or it's positive, that's not, you know, I don't really care about that at this point. Like, I think what's interesting is um, that throughout the years, the fashion industry has been kind of like projecting these ideas of beauty by representing people that like, you know, if you, if you would like cross them in the street, you'd be like, okay, this is what a model is supposed to be. It's just kind of like putting model into like a different categories of humans, literally. And what I find right, really, yeah. you know, cool about the, the um, body positivity movement is that I don't want this to be like another way for us to put like you like unique or like standalone or make these people feel like standalone people that are on the covers of the magazine. I do feel like the 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 types of people that that when someone looks into a magazine, like yes, they should see like a beautiful like picture or like same like on social media or whatever. That's fine because I like I mentioned like it requires so much talent and art of itself to create these pictures. And it's also, um, it's beautiful. It's like a fantasy, it transports you. And that's what fashion is, it, you know, it's inspiring. And that's what fashion should do. But in terms of like the people who are like part of that picture, like it's what I feel is empowering for these people to feel, for lack of a better word again, ordinary. You know, it can be because the, the, the whole point of a model is to be is to have that talent to connect with the camera and to right. have in the glamour 100%. and all of that comes with the yes. modeling it doesn't necessarily come with the model um because and and that's the thing it's like you it's only when you're like it's for me it only click when i was on my first shoot because that's when like that was the only the first exposure that i had to like a shoot and to modeling and all of that and so when i saw like when I was like witnessing her first shoot for Bunny, that's when I realized my god like you start understanding the talent that goes behind modeling and like the craft and like that and mm-hmm. and also the work that goes into it and like well why on, on top of that we have to layer all these different criterias and that's and that's what I found interesting about the whole unique thing right the whole unique conversation is that we shouldn't have been conditioned in the first place to think that um, only some people get to be models or only some people get to represent like the fashion industry and create those and, and be behind those visuals. Because like, I find so much beauty in, you know, what you call ordinary life and like day-to-day people. Mm-hmm. Because it's, and I think the reason why also is because like I was so self-conscious growing up that like I could never like project that beauty on like that that love and all of that onto myself and think like oh like 
you know, my thighs are beautiful and my features are beautiful until like I, I guess like turned 18, 19. But I could always find quote unquote ordinary people really, really beautiful, you know, like they're like, I would just like, even like when they were like daydreaming, like now I'm going to look, sound like a creeper, but like even when like, <laughs> you're daydreaming and you're kind of like, and especially in Mauritius, it's like India, like, like it's, I don't know how kids like stay in school, honestly, like, because I remember it was so hot and it was summer and you're like, after your lunch break, you just want to sleep. And so you daydream and you don't necessarily focus and you just look around and I was like, wow, like, like this girl, like she's wearing this color today and it looks beautiful on her and makes her eyes pop and he makes her like her hair texture is so interesting and this and that and same for everyone you know like you can just kind of like if you start inspecting people around you you can see so many things are so beautiful um 100 yeah and and that's what i i find interesting when you mentioned the word unique is that like for me it kind of like showed how um Yes, it is unique and it's different for the fashion industry to show more quote unquote ordinary people. But I think that's what's funny. It's like it should be the other way around, right? Like it shouldn't have been this um, elitist, like, or it shouldn't have built a sense of elitism and like, you know, other and pedestal in the first place. Um, so, so yeah, I, I'm really interested in like bringing just kind of like the mainstream and still you know it's true like the pictures are still great and feel like oh like if I strike that same pose into my mirror right now I'm not going to look as good but that's the whole point it's like the the whole thing that's manu- that's manufactured within a fashion photo is because it's part of like a whole team who's like doing this entire process with and without photoshop like that's also one thing I was like what's the use of photoshop when you have such an amazing makeup designers, you have such amazing lighting work, you have such amazing photography, you have such amazing modeling, like all of these conditions is why you get such an amazing picture. Why do on top of that, we do we have to make it like physically in like unattainable mm. by having more of these like, you know, alterations, whether it's an alteration like in, in, in post-op, like in Photoshop, or is it alteration by like, having that model be like, you know, filtering like the person who gets to be in front of the camera with all of these like really strict like beauty standards. And it really doesn't matter what the beauty standards are, to be honest, because then it's like, you're just perpetrating the same, the same culture of only like certain people get to be model. When at the end of the day, I feel like if you're able to carry yourself and you're able to like be in front of a camera and, and, hold a pose and carry clothing and create that glamorous and editorial and whatever image um, or create whatever emotion you're supposed to create uh, for a specific shoot, like you should be able to become a model regardless of your height or your size or like, you know, the shape of your legs or like how many like love, like handles you have or like whatever, you know. A hundred percent. And I think uh, something powerful that said there is like this idea of beauty standards. And it's like, why do we even have like beauty standards? Everyone's beauty standards are different. And why are we following, you know, what, you know, whoever, like, I don't even know who are these people in mass media and fashion that get to decide what those beauty standards are. And like, why do we have to follow them? And why are we already conditioned Mm -hmm. to follow them? Um, So I think that's also a very powerful question right there is like, why do these even exist? Because if, 
that was broken down, then it would be a lot easier for people to feel that they could, uh, you know, they could step into the role as a fashion model, regardless of having any kind of, uh, like, you know, a checklist that they need to kind of uh, check off to make sure that they meet all the standards of what beauty is. You know, I, I do feel like what's interesting about, like, I guess nowadays is that there is also like a, there's like a push and pull, like from the, the consumers as well. Um, and I'm sure like social media has a great part in it, but I really, I mean, the world that I kind of like want to live in, hopefully is a world where like, you know, someone can look, like any person can like look into a magazine and like see the picture of a model and see like, still like look at her or him, um, or, you know, any, like any person from like any like gender identity and just like look at that person and say like, huh. Yeah, I've, this person reminds me of this like person in my life, you know, like I've seen this person in real life, you know, without actually, you know, without literally having seen that person in real life, but feeling like this reminds them mm. of something that's like, like in their surroundings. Um, and that's not kind of like this like valara of like where like people there's like are just like perfect and perfect world. Like it needs to feel like a little bit more authentic and legitimate. But at the same time, that same person looking at me still feel transported. And I think that feeling of like awe and, and glamour and transportation and all of that, like all of that comes with art direction and and that other talent. Um so I that's kind of like the the the, the shift that I hope will happen one day. Yeah, I think we're well on the way there. And um, I mean, it's taking time, but we are getting there. And I think, you know, when there's people like you doing uh, doing what you're doing with your, your business and your brand, you know, we can get there a lot faster and help bring more awareness to the complexities around these topics. So mm. thank you for what you do. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Uh, um, so we been chatting for quite a while so I think is now is a good time to kind of wrap things up yes. um uh, this has been such an, a beautiful conversation thank you so much for your time um where can our audience find you to connect uh to learn more and um and to browse Pony Swimwear Sure. Um, so they can check out our website, which is www.pani.in. Uh, Pani with like a hyphen between Pani. And uh, we're also on Instagram at uh, Pani Swimwear. And uh, yeah, and so that's like the main channels to contact us. And we have like a phone number and email address that's also listed on our website. So if they, if anyone has any questions like about the line, about you know, anything really, just sustainable fashion, anything like that. Um, yeah, I'm always like reachable. Like I said, we're a super small team. So like a lot of the times people get really surprised when they get me directly. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm always really open to talk about like anything, to be honest, as they probably have seen with all my rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful. There's so much to learn from you. And uh, for all uh, all our listeners, um, all of the links to get in touch with Layla uh, and to browse Pony Swimwear are in the show notes. Um, Layla, thank you again. Thank you so much for your time. This has been so lovely. And I know we'll definitely be connecting in the near future. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. It was really, really nice. 
Ha, feeling inspired? See what other impact stories we have to share over on causeartist.com. Be sure to subscribe for weekly updates from Grant and I about content, giveaways, and new episodes from Disruptors for Good and Impact India. Looking to learn more about social impact and conscious living in India? Hit me up on Instagram at Jasmine Rain. Cheers, friends!